This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the X One, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum together to this place that I call the X Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the X Zone Broadcast Network. The Talkstar Radio Network, Digital Satellite Network, and of course, iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And to find out about the great programming we have available for you 24 7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. Exo Nation, my guest to this first hour of tonight's show is Dr. Robin Burke, and from her early days writing code in Silicon Valley through her time as an executive, research leader, and consultant, she's been on the cutting edge of change. Her mission is to help business leaders who are worried about uncertain markets, changing regulations, vulnerable supply chains, and more. And if you're a student uh, just choosing a career or you're reinventing yourself, Dr. Burke is here to help us focus uh, a successful, satisfying path forward as well. Joining me now is Dr. Robin Burke. And Dr. Burke, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background and your research work. Well, I started uh, on the technology implementation side. I was in Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. wearing bell-bottom jeans and Birkenstock sandals in the <laughs> mid-1970s, uh, the good old days. and I wrote one of the first uh, internet 
communication software packages that was available commercially with a small startup company in Silicon Valley. Um, I moved around a fair amount because my husband was serving in the military. And uh, so I worked with small and cutting edge software and engineering companies until the mid 1990s or so. And along the way, I did a bunch of consulting uh, to other startups. After the attacks of 9-11-2001, I was invited to join the faculty at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy, and I taught there for over seven years. And while I was there, one of the things that happened is that a brand new discipline of science got started, and it's called network science, the science of complex interconnected systems. I went down to the D.C. area, and I managed research in that area. And we found out some rather startling and non-intuitive things about how the complex systems that we have come to rely on every day, the Internet, mm -hmm. power, communications, transportation, the food delivery systems, the finance systems that let us get on Amazon, buy something from across the world, never have a piece of cash in our wallet involved and have it show up at our door two days later. Those systems, it turns out, have some surprising and non-intuitive characteristics that are worth taking note of. Let me ask you a question, uh, Doctor. Are we, depend are we too dependent, in your opinion, <laughs> on technology? I don't know how to measure too dependent, but what I do know is that mm -hmm. our research showed that when we have complex networked systems and they're interdependent, they depend on each other, that the places where they link up are places of serious vulnerability and exactly. often unsuspected vulnerability. And when those systems break, it's like an avalanche. It starts with a few pebbles, and by the mm -hmm. time it rumbles down into the valley, it's tons of snow and ice and rocks. So um, here's an example of that. In 2003, when the Allied nations were about to enter into Iraq and then did enter into Iraq, there was a blackout of communications and power that flowed across the nation of Italy in less than 24 hours. Nearly two-thirds, three-quarters of the country was blacked out. And since it happened a day and a half after countries went into Iraq, and since Italy had been a staging point for those countries, there was a suspicion that it was terrorism of one sort or another. Mm -hmm. A lot of effort was put into trying to find evidence for that, and there was no evidence. Nothing could be found. And so the whole problem just sort of sat there as a confusing conundrum until 2009, when I uh, took over this fledgling research program. And one of the first research efforts I kicked off was a grant to a team that was led by two very senior prestigious physicists. Uh, Shlomo Havlin is one of the world's top chaos theory, complex system theory um, people in the world. Mm -hmm. And Eugene Stanley was awarded by his peers the Boltzmann International Boltzmann Medal in Statistical Mechanics, which is more prestigious among physicists than the Physics Nobel. So I asked these people, they were, uh, they were going to kick off study of how 
damage to a network like a communication system or like a power grid, how that unravels. What is the mathematics of that? Can we predict how a given network will unravel if it's attacked? And I sat down with them and I said, you know, if when you're doing this three-year research project, you happen to get some insight into the following question, I'd be really interested. And the question was, does that mathematical description, does that behavior of damaged complex systems change as a result of the system being connected to other systems? Or is it pretty much the same? Well, you know, up until that point, this very early science of networks, of complex networks, had focused on important nodes, that is important elements in a network or important connections, and how they impact a network. For instance, you know, if you take down my blog or my Facebook page, it really doesn't affect the World Wide Web one bit. You take down Amazon, you take down Google, now you're impacting mm-hmm. a large part of the information flow in the network. Seems reasonable, right? Right. So you would expect that this damage in Italy, this cascade of problems, would have been the result of some attack on a major part of the system. And that's not what these very prestigious scientists uh, found in my research program. What they found was that a relatively minor regional power station out in the countryside happened to have a problem. It went down for a while. It happened to be the power station that was supplying power to an Internet routing node in the area. Mm. And that, okay, you know, so that Internet routing node doesn't have power for a while, right? Except, and here's the gotcha, Mm -hmm. we now use the Internet to send command and control signals to, guess what? The power grid. Exactly. And the way the Internet works is that when a message like a command signal or your email Mm -hmm. or your request to see a web page, whenever any of those things doesn't get through, the routing systems try again and again. Well, what very rapidly happened is that because of that interdependence, because that Internet routing node was dependent on power from that power station and didn't have backups, and because that part of Italy, the whole Internet depended on that routing node, what happened is that very quickly the whole thing unraveled. And it was due to small damage in a relatively minor part of the networks. And we stopped and we said, oh my goodness. You know, what are the implications of that for vulnerabilities in all of these complex systems that we rely on And what should we do about it? So that insight has become the core of what I've been doing in the last few years, and it's the core of my Check Your Connections initiative. Fascinating, truly fascinating. And and some other elements that would affect the Internet worldwide is, number one, if 
if there was a terrorist attack on a section of the population where the internet is is vastly used as well as where there are certain hubs and uh, nodes number two sunspots number three electromagnetic pulses that could either be caused by a terrorist attack or an attack from an unfriendly country using missiles that would de- uh, deploy the EMP forces. Indeed. Yeah, and and with the with the dependency on the internet today and how people use every ounce <laughs> of communication that is supplied through the internet. Without the internet, many people would be like sitting ducks. What would they do? I remember years ago. Not that long ago, about nine years ago, had to be longer than that. Well, let's go eleven years ago. There was a a solar flare that took out a a substation. I believe it was in Cleveland, in the hydro. Yes. Caused the entire blackout throughout Ontario, parts of Quebec, and parts of the United States. Bang! Internet was down. No electricity. People didn't know what to do. I always have a hardwired, copper-wired phone in our homes. So that wasn't bad, you know, and, you know, you've got battery power and so on. And it was amazing to hear the horror stories. You know, people just didn't know what to do. Yes, and that is, um, that lack of resilience Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to address right now. Because the mathematics is clear. If we have a certain amount of local redundancy backup ways to get things done, ways to go for two or three weeks without the grocery stores having stock or without power and so on. Then that unraveling I talked about, Mm -hmm. that avalanche of cascading damage, the formal word in the science is the cascade of damage across the network systems, uh, doesn't accelerate the, to the same degree. All right, doctor, it's kind please. Of like, doctor, please stand by. You know, when by. I was a young girl, doctor Burke, we I, have to. I grew we have up to in take... a family with modest. Um, All, right. In- All right, doctor Burke, we have to take our commercial break. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Doctor Robin Burke is our guest. www.checkyourconnections.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back after this break. Don't go away. I wish I was Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Robin Burke is our guest, and her website is checkyourconnections.com. When the, when the inventors of the Internet uh, uh, were in the early days, did they have any idea how big that the Internet was going to be and the dependency that humans would have online? Probably not, because the Internet was developed by the United States military as a backup command and control system, Mm -hmm. command and control method, in the event of a strategic nuclear attack on the United States that would destroy wired communications. Remember, this was before cell phones? Yeah. Uh, And so all telephone and fledgling computer communications were going over wires. It was even before most fiber optics were out there. Um, And it was not unreasonable to foresee the possibility that a strategic nuclear attack on the continental United States would disrupt the command systems for the military and therefore also for the president and senior congressional leaders Uh, in the event of of such an attack. And so when the Internet was designed, it was specifically designed to be able to find a way to get your message from here to there, even if some of the the most direct linkages go down. It's like having a bridge wash out in the middle of winter. If you have a back road, it may be slower, it may be more indirect. You might have to try a couple of them, but you can get through. And that's the design of the Internet. It's exactly that design that keeps it going when there's various amounts of demand on on it, when people rush to the computer to check the news or mm-hmm. to watch a movie or to shop online, um, because those messages that we send out there and the messages that come, come back find their way to us. Um, when the decision was made to make that a public capability, it changed a great deal of our world. Was there ever a thought by the powers-to-be not to release this system to the public? Uh, There certainly was um, concern Hmm. about it at at various levels. Um, On the other hand, This happened at the same time that the core capabilities that make computers work were rapidly maturing. Um, By the 1980s, when the Internet had been turned open, we had brand new 
electronic chip designs, we had brand new software methods, we had fiber optic being rolled out by the millions of miles all over the United States and Canada. We had cell phones uh, beginning to be deployed. And by the way, that was a technology that was developed by the United States military originally as radios Mm -hmm. that could switch frequencies to talk to one another. Um, So a lot of things that happened in the 1980s and 1990s that we take for granted right now actually have their roots in military technology from the 70s and 80s. Uh, And the designs were thrown out there because there was such a demand and because there was such an obvious uh, economic and social benefit in the short run. People being able to communicate, being able to send a message to someone without having to wait to see if they can come to the phone, changed the way we do business. You know, having laptop computers or desktop computers and spreadsheets changed the way corporations and larger organizations organize themselves mm-hmm. because you didn't need layers of managers who would consolidate and approve reports and pass it up. You just shared the spreadsheet. Exactly. Massive, massive revolution in how we do things. A lot of benefits, some downsides. Let me ask you this. There's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence uh, these days and how yeah. the consciousness uh, is being examined to be transferred into artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, uh, is there a possibility that computers will take over where humans have prevailed and at some time in the future humans won't be necessary anymore? Well, that's really hard to say, and one of the reasons it's such a a confusing topic is that a lot of technical things get blurred. That's Mm -hmm. where my doctoral area is. My doctoral area is in artificial intelligence. And and so we have um, what we had at the beginning in the 1950s, 1960s, early 1970s was people were thinking about artificial intelligence in terms of logic machines. Right. You would have rules, and you'd have um, ways to draw implications from those rules, just like what we learned to do in mathematics with Mm -hmm. mathematical algorithms and in logic and so on. What happened with that effort is that it came up against um, what's called the world knowledge problem, which is to say, if I look at a table with a couple of colored blocks, And I want to ask the question, how many blocks are there? I have to make some assumptions. I have to assume there are no blocks off the table. If you ask me to move a block, suppose that there's a red block and a blue block on top and a yellow block on top of that. And I want you to move that red block to another pile. Well, you and I know I have to take the other two off first before you can get to the red block at the bottom. All of that knowledge has to be made explicit for reasoning machines, and there's just too much of it. It never ends. So what researchers did was to pivot away from that kind of knowledge-based reasoning to things that have their grounding in how our senses work. And so you got 30 years later, we now have 
computer vision that's pretty good at distinguishing different objects based on their shape and their uh, surface color. They can kind of tell where the edges are. That's a core capability for autonomous robots, autonomous cars, and so on. Mm -hmm. Autonomous meaning somebody isn't driving them directly. Um, And so what we have right now is there's a huge flurry of work that has its grounding in neuroscience, not just of humans, but of basic animals, uh, with very little above it. And there's deep learning, which is simply a way of saying you stack some of this up enough so that it starts working like the, neur- uh, the neural system of, of, oh, I don't know, maybe a frog, you know, instead of a one-celled uh, microbe. None of that is AI, but that because artificial intelligence implies being able to do something with concepts, Right. Um, But here we get into some interesting work in complexity theory and complex networks because there's some pretty good evidence, and not every scientist will agree with me on this, but there is some pretty good evidence that in the human brain, the way we develop concepts and use them is from the bottom up. And so in complexity theory, there's this idea of emergent behavior. And what it means is that if you get really complex systems, the parts of which are are interacting with each other in lots and lots of ways, the system as a whole develops behaviors that you cannot predict or infer by knowing what the parts are like. So the whole really is greater and different than the parts. Now, there's some real evidence that a lot of our day-to-day thinking, a lot of our day-to-day use of human language is grounded in the senses. There's a theory called embodied cognition, and it means that, and there's, there's fMRI and other kinds of evidence for this. If I say chair, mm-hmm. what happens in your mind in a very, very rapid fashion is that your brain actually partially simulates all of the sensory feelings, the color, the texture, what it feels like to sit in it, of some chair that comes to mind for you most often or comes to mind at the moment because of where you're sitting. So in that sense, we all start thinking based on the very kinds of things that are going into artificial vision. Uh, But then there are concepts like truth and beauty and logic and love and even things that are are not quite that abstract, and they don't reside anywhere in the brain. When when we say those words, the neural activity in the brain is all over the place, and it's a pretty strong indication that those concepts, those things that we think of as human, of the things that go into being conscious, actually are emergent behaviors of this massively complex brain of ours and all of the experience that's stored in it. That changes the whole kind of thinking about what artificial intelligence might be, right? It certainly does, because based on that, that we can actually take a comparison that what we call artificial intelligence is what we humans use on a moment-by-moment basis. 
Well, certainly what we humans use is intelligence. And that intelligence has these aspects that Mm -hmm. come out of complexity theory um, that go beyond just our senses. We are more than just our physical immediate experience. And by the way, the brain does not keep a movie of our memories and experience. It keeps a few data points and kind of reconstructs it on the fly, which is how false memory can be created in people. So Um, so, So basically we create a hologram. Of, within we our, create yeah. we, we create a shape of some sort, right? Um, and uh, you know how, how detailed that shape is depends on a lot of things, including how much emotion or other biochemicals are going on around the original experience. So if I look out my window and it's a windy day and I see a bush move, no big deal. You know, I kind of might remember the next day that I did, but there isn't mm-hmm. wasn't any big deal. If I'm a primate a million years ago and I'm on the savanna in Africa and I see a wave in that tall grass, the first thing that happens is my body gets ready to flee or yep, to fight. Exactly. And it takes a good while for me to figure out whether that's the wind, a lion, or some kid. Because you have you to know? process all the available data to come to the right and conclusion. Absolutely, and that processing yeah. doesn't happen in, in a logical sequence. For instance, there are four levels of processing just vision. The first level is um, it operates in what's called associative. It just looks for statistical similarities, boom, and it sees movement. All right, I hate to do this to you, Mike. All right, I hate to do this to you, but I've kept the breaks uh, to the very shortest of that I can because I love... Thank you for stopping me because Uh, otherwise I'll go on and on. I love this conversation and I really appreciate you coming on tonight, Dr. Burke. Please stand by. Exxon Nation, Dr. Robin Burke is our guest. And uh, we'll both be back on the other side of this break. Dr. Burke's website is www.checkyourconnections.com. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. 
Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7, 365. Dr. Robin Burke is our guest this hour, Exonation. Check your connections.com. And uh, this is a great hour, Dr. Burke. I appreciate you joining us and sharing with us. Uh, Dr. Burke holds an MBA from Keenan Flieger Business School. That's part of the University of Chapel Hill in North Carolina. A PhD in information science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and data analysis from SUNY in Albany. Her undergraduate degree is in liberal arts and has been a valuable career asset as well. She's worked in Silicon Valley, Southern California, the Research Triangle Park, Northern Virginia, and New York, as well as in the Midwest. After the attacks of 9-11, she taught at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy, for seven years, where she helped to set up the Center of Excellence in Network Science before focusing on a research program in in Cognitive Information and Network Science at uh, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency of the Center of U.S. Counter, WMD, which is Weapons of Mass Destruction Expertise. First of all, Doctor, thank you for joining us. Second of all, thank you for your service to your country and to the, and to the, to the peace of this world. Thank you, and um, it was my privilege to do that. And ironically, the same event that drove me to teach at West Point drove me to contribute to this brand new discipline called network science. Mm. Shall I tell a story about that? I would appreciate it. So we were living in the mid-Hudson Valley area of New York because my husband was already teaching at West Point, and I had done some consulting and was home recovering from having wrecked up a knee. Ooh. And I turn on the television, and I see the second plane attack yeah. the Twin Towers, and I see the smoke from the first one. Mm-hmm. Now, we have one child, and she was a young adult uh, daughter, and I knew that she was working as a temp office worker in lower Manhattan near the Twin Towers. Oh, my gosh. So I did what any mother would do, right? I got on the phone and tried to reach her on her cell phone. Couldn't get through to her. I was only 65 miles away, and I could not reach her for 36 hours. However... She managed to get through to her grandmother in San Francisco just a couple of hours after the attack. And, you know, when my heart started beating again and I could breathe again, I said to myself, now, why did that happen? I mean, I knew how the technologies work in general. Mm -hmm. How did it happen that 65 miles away, I could not get through on her cell phone, but she could reach California. And so a few years later, when the head of the U.S. Army's research and development group asked the National Academies of Science 
a question. He, Dr. John Parmentola, who's a physicist degree originally from MIT, um, asked the National Academies of Science the following question. He said, I've been told that there is a brand new science that's just starting to get off called network science. And what I want you to tell me officially is whether this is in fact a new discipline or is it just a buzzword that the Beltway contractors are using to get more, you know, more contracts and funding, mm-hmm. number one. And if it is a new science, should the U.S. Army be interested in helping to sponsor it or investing in it? And the National Academy of Science came back and told the U.S. Army that not only is it a new science, but that, in fact, they had better be investing in it because they were doing things like building what are called mesh grid radio systems, systems that would reconnect with each other on the fly on various frequencies and so on. Um, And nobody has the mathematics to talk about how they will operate at large volumes or if they're damaged and so on. So that led to West Point setting up a center of excellence in network science, and I was involved in that. And then I went down to the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, uh, especially because of the opportunity to set up uh, a research program that was being carried out by some very, very top scientists um, in the area of network science as well as uh, cognitive and information science. And why would DITRA be interested in this thing? Well, DITRA's responsibilities include being able to build predictive models about how weapons of mass destruction would affect the infrastructure and the population in the United States or elsewhere, and nobody had the mathematics to do that because our world has become so Mm. complex with all these connected systems, just as you talked about, Rob. You know, when you say, are we too dependent? Well, the reality is that the world we live in is so different from 20 years ago. It's amazing. And the models that Ditra had for things like a nuclear attack just were no longer adequate to predict what would happen in our world today. And hence, we had this very, very innovative research program, and it was, uh, as I said, executed by some very top senior people, mainly mathematical physicists, because that sort of carries into what's going on in that discipline, but also some rising young PhD stars as well. With all the data that the human mind is subjected to at any given time, how is it possible that we keep up with the data flow? We don't entirely. What we do is filter it. And this goes to the question of intelligence. It also goes to the, the question of how we find out what is new. Mm-hmm. So let me come at that in an indirect kind of okay. way. We talked before the break a little bit about how the human brain reasons and and processes language, human language, uh, by recreating actual sensory experiences associated with certain words and ideas. Well, it turns out that that isn't something we learn once and keep forever. So there's a marvelous, highly respected linguist at the State University of New York in Albany. His name's Istvan Keshkes. 
He was originally Hungarian, came here on a Fulbright scholarship and stayed as the uh, wall came down in the 1980s. And his research specialty is what happens to how people think and use language when they learn new languages, especially languages that are really different from their original mother tongue. You know, he grew up speaking Hungarian. That's really different from Russian on one side and English on the other or Chinese, right? Mm -hmm. And what his research shows is that as we begin to master a second language well, it changes how we think. And the evidence for it changing how we think is that we start using our mother tongue differently. And we, use our, and we start shaping these concept models, these models for how the world fits together in meaningful ways. Those shift over time in part by our experience, but that experience itself filters through the lens of language. And there's some wonderful research about this across cultures. In Western cultures, we think there's the actor, there's the subject of the, of the sentence. He or she or it does something to something else, right? Okay. That's just buried in how we think about the world. It goes to the heart of our sense of responsibility, of someone being ethically responsible for the choices they make, and so on. In Asian cultures, especially those that are heavily influenced by traditional Chinese culture and literature and art, children are taught a different way to see and experience the world. How are they Traditional taught? Chinese mothers taught their children when they were little toddlers and mm-hmm. just learning to speak and just looking at things when they told them stories. They would focus on the interaction of elements mm. in the whole scenario, the context, rather than the individual making choices, taking actions that have outcomes. So the children well, that's were... Got all- so all the, kinds of implications for ethics, for yeah. politics, for all kinds of things, right? But it also brings into the, into the, into the formula cause and effect. It does. Yeah. And, and cause and effect is seen differently in some cultures. Yep. And in my own dissertation research, one of the things I pulled together is evidence that even for ideas as basic as spatial relationships... You know, something is next to something, something is behind something, something is above something, right? Right. Different cultures have different ways of thinking about that, and in some smaller tribal cultures, they're very different. There are uh, tribal cultures in the northern, northwestern provinces and up in the Arctic area that primarily identify geographical uh, relationships in terms of the main river in the area. Mm-hmm. Are you downstream? Or are you upstream? Are you on this bank? Or are you on that bank? Yeah. You know, um, and there are differences within cultures that are typical of gender differences. Most women in Western cultures think about directions. If, 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 
I ask a typical woman in the West how to get to the store, she'll say, go down this street, turn right, go three blocks, turn left at the Red House. Okay. If you ask a typical male in Western culture, he'll say, go north five blocks, turn left for a quarter of a mile. That is so true. Yes, definitely. So that is, now here's something that's really fascinating about that. There is a very small number of people whose automatic way of processing spatial relationships is three-dimensional and objective at once. So they can both visualize or uh, think about or experience the three dimensions of space, up, down, back, front, and so on, and where they are in it, and keep those two things aligned. Those are the people who can fly high-speed military jets without crashing. Fascinating. And there are more, proportionally more men than women who can do that, but in both genders it is an extremely small number. Doctor, you and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Fascinating hour, Doctor. Thank you very much. I'd love to have you back on because there are so many other topics that we can talk about, but we'll uh, we'll get you back on in the very near future if you'd be so kind and join us one more I time. I would love to. All right, please stand by, Doctor. You and I have to take our final break. Exo Nation, our guest this hour is Dr. Robin Burke. Once again, her website is checkyourconnections.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And if you'd like to find out about the other programming we have available for you, 724-365, visit xzbn.net. The good doctor and I return talking more about, let's see, we've talked about computers, the internet, artificial intelligence. Let's talk about the human brain and much more. Don't go away. Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations, yet viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, 
Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Lift me, won't you? And welcome back. Dr. Robin Burke is our guest. Her website is checkyourconnections.com. That's www.checkyourconnections.com. With all that we've been talking about tonight, Dr. Burke, how is all this technology, how is all this data, how are all these new ways of of living affecting our mind, our brain? Well, one of the... One of the things that they're doing is throwing us, if we allow them to, into what I call bad news hell. You know, bad news hell is when you get on the Internet and you hear about this or that danger, and you're not quite sure what it means, but your sense is that it's dangerous, and pretty soon you're living in a state of, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yeah. And here's the, here's the thing about that. We evolved to respond to danger. You know, that primate out on the uh, African savanna, there's a reason that the body ramps up to flee when that grass starts moving, and only later do we figure out if it's a threat or not, because otherwise you wouldn't survive, right? Right. Well, in those settings, in, in the setting for almost all of human history, the potential threat either happened as a threat or resolved itself quickly. Now, there were things that might affect you in another country, you know, might start a war or mm-hmm. something, but you never heard about them, or, or if you did, you never even occurred to you that, that you, there was anything you could do about it, so you went on with your life. Now we live in a state where potential threats are being thrown at us constantly, and there is no resolution, right? I see. And boy, what does that do to society? Well, in the United States, after the last election, you see what that does to society, Um, it's not a good thing. And so that's why I started the Check Your Connections initiative, because what I've done in Check Your Connections is to boil down into some simple steps some of the insights from network science, from cognitive science, and so on, with the intent to give people a basic, simple tool they can use to build resilience into their lives despite rapid change and very high uncertainty 
which is a large part of the threat we feel. We just don't know what could be coming down the pike, right? Yeah. So um, the Check Your Connections method and process, I wrote a little book called Check Your Connections, How to Thrive in an Uncertain World. And what it does is teach a four-step process that you can use to extend your resources, evaluate the resources you have right now, build resilience. Resilience is the ability to respond to potential threats or changes that are unexpected. And even anti-fragility, the ability to even thrive right in the face of all this change and chaos, to build that into your life or your business or your organization. And uh, on my website, there's, if you sign up, there's a free paper that gets, you'll get sent called How to Get From Here to There Even When the Bridge Washes Out. So I live in an area where it gets pretty, uh, we can have some fairly intense winters, and mm-hmm. bridges sometimes are an issue. Uh, roads are sometimes an issue over the mountain. If there's a back road I can take, it might be longer, it might be slower, it might be a pain in the butt to drive on, but if I can get to my doctor's or get to the food store when the bridge washes out, I can make it through a bad storm time. Right? And you were talking about that earlier yes. in your own life, that as you build some of that into your life, as you have these little backup systems, yep. now you're, the threat is less immediate. You have time to stop and say, does that really affect me directly? You know, if it doesn't affect me directly, should I worry about it at all? Should I just keep one ear out and, you know, for X, Y, and Z and not worry otherwise? Well, the luxury of being able to to take that step back from what all of this data is doing to us comes because we have built some of this resiliency and backup into our lives. And one of the interesting effects that has on society and our systems is that it slows down the cascade of failures if something bad happens. So I was saying earlier, you know, if I have a sweater and a hole develops in it. Um, it's very hard to re-knit that hole back up. But if I can put stitches around that little hole, it won't get any bigger. That's right. Similarly, if you and I have food, water, a means of sanitation, some backup power that could get our households through two weeks. Um, two weeks is a long time. That's a fair amount of time for governmental agencies and so on to repair damage to an infrastructure, whether it be like Puerto Rico from a major storm or it comes from an attack. It doesn't really matter what caused the damage. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is prevent the unraveling. So in comes the Boy Scouts old saying, be prepared. prepared, Expect the unexpected. That's why here in our our company, we, we have backup systems for our backup systems because you never know a backup system may fail it might yeah and do you have important information in paper copy we certainly do i always shock people when i say that because you know here i am i wrote one of the early internet communication Mm -hmm. software capabilities and i say keep your important information on paper as well we always do because i even Mm -hmm. I even have something that I talk about on my radio interviews, Rob, and I hope your your viewers won't be too put off by this. But, 
You know, the one thing that many people fail to plan for in the event of an emergency is sanitation. Yes. But if you go for two or three weeks and the sewer systems don't work, Mm -hmm. um, dysentery and other really nasty things can happen. And so I tell people to go to their local uh, store, their hardware store, and buy a five-gallon rigid paint bucket, the kind that doesn't bend, and a roll of heavy-duty yard waste plastic bags, the black ones that you can put twigs in and it won't Mm -hmm. tear. You line the bucket with a bag, and you now have an emergency toilet. And uh, you can, you know, double-tie the the bag when it has some contents and put it to the side. Obviously, that's not a long-term solution, but it can last for several weeks, and it could make the difference between you and your family and your company retaining good health or becoming seriously ill and maybe dying. And history has taught that, us that, and we need to take more lessons from history to apply it in today's lifestyle to be prepared for any eventuality that tomorrow may bring. Yes, and in doing that, we our minds are free to enjoy the positive benefits of these complex systems. I, you know, I look back when I first started broadcasting going back to 1981, and, and I look at the marvelous advances that have been made thanks to technology, thanks to people like yourself and others who have dedicated so much into the growth of technology. And I can only imagine in the very least what our future will look like thanks to technology. If we don't blow it, indeed. That is so true. So what is up next for uh, Dr. Robin Burke? What are you going to be up to, Doctor? Are you going to be giving lectures, seminars? Are you going to be writing another booklet? Um, I am working on two small versions of the small book. Uh, Mm -hmm. One for small business owners that gives a lot more detail on things they can look for and do in their businesses for resilience. And one for young people who are attempting to plan a career uh, how do you plan a career when the whole world changes every five or ten years? You That's know? an excellent question. Yeah. Um, there are some there are some ways to do that, and I'm a survivor. I can point to my own uh, career as an example of it. I'm doing that and giving some workshops and speaking, and uh, I may be doing some teaching at the university level again as well. We'll see. We've got about a minute left, Doctor. What are your final thoughts for the listening audience tonight? My final thoughts are that each of you is more valuable and potentially more resourceful than you may realize. You have resources all around you, and my book gives you some ideas about how to identify them and bring them into your support network and for you to be resourceful for others. And the final chapter, I'll give away the plot at the end. I talk about gratitude, not as a vague spiritual idea, but as a concrete science-based observation that the way our brains work are, that when we stop and look around and really see what's around us, we see things we would otherwise overlook, and they can be key to our success. Doctor, thank you ever so much for joining us. And if I don't have the opportunity of speaking to you before the holidays to you and yours 
a very happy holiday season and the very best of 2018. And to you as well, Robin, to all who are joining us today. Good night, Doctor. Good night. Exonation, our guest has been Dr. Robin Burke. Her website is www.checkyourconnections.com. That's www.checkyourconnections.com. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't go away. <laughs> 